A few days ago, in Malad, we had the good fortune of speaking before an assembly at a meeting of the Alcoholics Anonymous. I was explaining there how I am invited as a guest speaker at many universities, churches, synagogues, temples, mosques, all over the world. And what I have found, and I say this very honestly, is that amongst religions of the world, those who are those who are taking very seriously the assembly of the Alcoholics Anonymous are perhaps the most religious people I have ever met in my life. In today's society, we are trained to see things very superficially. And therefore, most religions today people follow because it is the tradition of their family, because it is socially acceptable, and therefore they're attached to the rituals, they're attached to the forms, but the real essence, which is to helplessly fall at the feet of God and beg for his mercy, is forgotten. At most churches, synagogues, mosques, and temples throughout the world, and I even see it in our, own, in, our, in our own temple, in our own congregation, people chant the mantras because they're supposed to. People perform the rituals and do the puja because they're supposed to. They listen to the pravachan or the sermon because that's what's to be done every Sunday morning. They give their donation or their charity because it's socially acceptable to do so. It's pious to do so. But that is not religion. Religion is that process by which we learn to accept ourselves as helpless, insignificant creatures who are urgently in need of the mercy of God at every moment. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous is performing a great service to human society because it is giving people a very true and genuine understanding of how in their desperate condition of life the only hope is to depend on the higher power of God and to cry out in a helpless state of mind for his mercy. We saw in the Mahabharat how Draupadi when she was being disrobed she tried to defend herself according to her power. But when she realized she was powerless to protect herself from a fate worse than death, she had no other alternative than to throw her hands in the air and cry out in utter desperation, Krishna, save me. It was only at that time that Krishna descended to save her from her condition of life. In the Bible, Lord Jesus Christ, he spoke that the meek shall inherit the earth. <clears throat> Lord Jesus said, it is easier to thread a camel through the eye of a needle than for a man proud of his wealth and fortune to enter into the kingdom of God. 
Factually, at the time of Jesus, we find that most of the people who were in very comfortable, prestigious positions, they did not take him very serious. It was mostly the very poor people, the desperate people, who had an urgent need for the, for the shelter of a higher power. And they had very little to be proud of in their life. Therefore, it was very easy for them to humble themselves before Jesus and hear his words. And we find this in all the great religions of the world. Ah, that the most difficult person to preach to is someone who is proud that they are spiritually advanced. Someone who is proud that they know God. Someone who is proud that they love God. Or someone who is proud by the infatuation and intoxication of material wealth, a high birth, physical beauty, a high education. They think they have their life under their control. Factually, no one has their life under their control. Everyone is forced to grow old, get diseased, and die helplessly. But we are in such an illusion that we are not willing to see the reality that surround us. Therefore, the greatest enemy for anyone in approaching God is pride. Even amongst those who are on the spiritual path, it is said in the Bible, I believe it is by St. Paul, that pride cometh before the fall. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, I'd like to tell you about one story. Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is one of the great incarnations of God who was predicted in the Vedas, he appeared about 500 years back. And he was very mercifully teaching the universal principle of religion, pure love of God, and the process he was teaching was by chanting the name of God. Lord Chaitanya taught, Nam Nam Akari Bahudan Nija Sarva Shaktis Nakala. Which means there are many names of God. Jehovah, Yahweh, Christ, uh, Allah, Krishna, Ram, Govinda. And in each and every one of the names of God, God has empowered with all of his divine potency. And anyone who sincerely cries out the name of God with feeling, the Lord will respond. And his divine presence will deliver that person from all the miseries of material existence. So when Lord Chaitanya was traveling through South India, spreading the gospel of the glories of the Holy Name, he came to one place called Kuramakshetra. And there, there was a very, very poor man, contaminated with this leprosy, that his skin was literally being eaten away by worms. His skin was so rotten that there were millions of worms living within his body, eating and eating and eating. It was a miserable condition. He came to see Lord Chaitanya with great faith and devotion. He bowed down before the Lord. He was helpless. He had nothing to be proud of. He had no money. He had no prestige. He was an outcast. He was suffering. But he was the most fortunate man on earth because he had faith in God. And that faith made him peaceful. That faith made him blissful 
even under these most horrible conditions of life. Uh, recently I read in a newspaper about one very beautiful movie actress from France, one of the most beautiful movie actresses in the whole world, very famous. And it explained she spent her 50th birthday in complete seclusion, crying all day long. She spent her 49th birthday in the hospital because she cut her wrists trying to commit suicide. Her fortune is worth tens and millions of dollars. She lives in one of the most beautiful chateaus, mansions in all of France. Millions and millions of people throughout the world, they have heard her name, and as soon as they hear it, they become excited. Huh? She has everything a materialist could want. Beauty, talent, money, fame. Why is she so miserable? Because she had everything but peace of mind, everything but happiness. She saw that by the cruel force of time, all her beauty was being taken away and she could not tolerate it. So we find that people with the greatest material assets are suffering due to a lack of peace, a lack of fulfillment, and a lack of purpose in their life. Here was this leper of the name Vasudev, who was perfectly fulfilled, perfectly at peace, why? Because he had complete faith in the mercy of God. And why did he have that faith? Because he considered himself so completely helpless and humble and meek in his condition. He had absolutely nothing to be proud of in this world. And therefore he could turn to God with an honest and sincere heart and say, My dear Lord, I am your servant. So when Lord Chaitanya saw him, Vasudev did not ask him, please cure me, please give me money. He simply said, my dear Lord, <coughs> how can I serve you? What can I do for you? You have given me everything simply by giving me faith and love in you. I do not require anything else. How can I serve you? What can I give to you? At that time, Lord Chaitanya so pleased, he embraced him. And when he embraced him, all his leprosy disappeared. And his body became extraordinarily youthful and beautiful. Perfectly healthy, and it was shining with an effulgence of gold. And he looked at this body. And then he became very disturbed in his mind. <laughs> when he had leprosy, suffering with worms eating away at him, he was not the slightest bit disturbed. But when he saw this beautiful, young, healthy physique, he became very worried. He said, my dear Lord, now, because you've performed this miracle and I have been the object of your miracle, everyone is going to know me as Vasudev who received the special mercy of God. Now, with all this fame and this beautiful body, what is to prevent me from becoming proud? As soon as I become proud, then my whole attitude toward God is ruined. As soon as I become proud, my whole disposition of service to the Lord is contaminated. I cannot please you properly if I am proud. And with all the recognition and all the beauty that I have now, what will prevent me from becoming proud? My dear Lord, I never considered I was in a dangerous condition, but now I consider I'm in a very dangerous condition. Losing my life is not dangerous, because I have to lose my life anyway, today or tomorrow. Suffering the miseries of this world is not dangerous because today or tomorrow we have to suffer the miseries. And besides that, I'm not my body anyway. I'm the eternal soul. 
but losing my helpless dependence on you, which is the very essence of my life, that is a dangerous position. And as soon as I become proud, it's lost. So my Lord, please, I only have one prayer. Tell me how in this position I will never become proud and I can always remain your helpless dependent servant. And Lord Chaitanya told him, Yare deka tare kaha Krishna upadesh, amaragoi gora tare hai Krishna upadesh. He said that Vasudev, always remember the name of God. Always chant the name of God. And whoever you meet, you reach out to them to help them by giving them what I am giving to you. In giving we receive. In taking we lose. He said if you always sympathize with those who are in need and you strive and struggle and perform whatever sacrifice is required to help another come closer to God. If you are always giving of yourself, if you are always giving the mercy of God to others, you will always be filled with the mercy of God yourself. And at the same time, you should always practice the chanting of the name of God. If you simply do these two, follow these instructions, you will never become proud. We were also explaining the other night a similar instance in the Bible where Jesus was invited to the house of some of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the high priests of Israel at the time. They were those persons who could perform the rituals just according to the traditions. They could speak the scriptures, the Torah, very eloquently. They were leaders amongst men. They were the most respected, the most adored and worshipped people in the entire society as being holy men. And you know what? They considered themselves holy men. As soon as you consider yourself a holy man, then you are holy, not holy, in the eyes of God. One who considers himself the most insignificant, one who considers himself the least amongst men, he is the most in the eyes of God. So these men considered themselves very great and everybody in the society believed them. So Jesus was sitting in their house. At that time, a low-born prostitute, an outcast, came to the door and they told her, get away. For a low-born person addicted to sinful activities, it's like an untouchable in the modern day Hindu caste system. You don't even allow, you don't even look at such a person, it's contaminated. What to speak of allow them to step foot in your house. Jesus called her, you come in. Huh? And then she began to cry and she took her hair and with her hair soaked with her tears she began to wash the feet of Jesus. And these Pharisees are thinking, what kind, of a, what kind of a sadhu, what kind of a saint is this? He's allowing this woman of a low caste prostitute origin to be touching his feet? And they began to all whisper amongst themselves that he's just completely breaking all the religious principles. And they began to criticize him with very, very envious and blasphemous words. 
And Jesus looked at them. And he said that she is humble. She is prideless. She is genuinely from the bottom of her heart considering herself a sinner and repenting and helplessly taking shelter. And you with all your pride are not able to do that. You see, to approach God we have to become honest. And it begins, we have to become honest with one another. Honesty means we are willing to admit our shortcomings, admit our faults, admit our sins, admit that we are abominable, insignificant creatures on earth. A great man is a man who has the integrity to admit his faults, his shortcomings, and his lowliness. And a low man is always trying to make himself look very great, very pious, very glorious in the eyes of men. Sometimes people come to a saintly person and they start broadcasting their glories. I have done this and I have done that and I have done this and just see what I am doing and oftentimes they've done it. Sometimes people do very great, great things and they start broadcasting all the great things they've done and all the great accomplishments and the degrees that they have and when the saintly person hears this he simply feels sorry for such a person. The other day, a person came and was telling me that he was a gold medalist, international gold medalist, from a big competition of business. Um, it, it was business advertising or something. And he was, came in first place in an international competition held in London. And he told me that he has 10 degrees. Huh? He was just explaining me his background. I told him, you want to know the truth? None of this impresses me in the slightest degree. As far as I'm concerned, it's all useless. It means nothing to me. The only thing that impresses me about anybody is if they're humble. If they have no humility, even if they're the king on earth, the heavyweight champion fighter of the globe, even if they've opened 150 huge industrial factories, even if they've fed 10 million poor people with food, even if they've, even if they've closed whole cities of slums, even if they've opened dozens and dozens of big hospitals for charitable purposes, None of these things impress if they are not done with humility. As soon as there is pride, everything is spoiled. Everything you've done is spoiled in the eyes of God as soon as pride enters into your heart. I was speaking just yesterday to one member of Alcoholics Anonymous. by the help of our brother and very beloved friend, Nikki, This man, God worked through Nikki to save this man from a tragic death. And now he has restored to being a sober person who is genuinely seeking the mercy of God in life. And I think for someone like Nikki to see one person, even one person, if you can bring him to sincerely and humbly approach God in life and be rescued from this horrible, demonic, 
detachment of alcoholism, that in and of itself is the success of life. Huh? To help one such person is a greater achievement than conquering countries, conquering entire worlds. And you will get more fulfillment through this process. So this man was telling me that when he looks back at his life, he's a doctor. He was a very proud fellow. He had, to some extent, the world at his feet. He had a very good career, good family. But somehow or other, due to certain frustrations, he became an alcoholic. And his whole life caved in right before his eyes. All of his integrity, all of his decency, all of his ethics, all of his morality, all of his distinction, everything was lost. His family was in shambles. Huh? This is how it happened, Nikki? It happens to most alcoholics. He said, now that I look back, becoming an alcoholic was a blessing of God. He said, because if it wasn't for that, I would not be here today sitting in God's temple, thinking myself the most insignificant, helpless person on earth, approaching the sadhus and approaching God for mercy. And that is the goal of life. To cry out for the mercy of God is the goal of life. And whatever it takes to bring us to that point, we should accept it as a blessing. Of course, of the millions and millions and millions and millions of alcoholics in the world, only a small percentage are willing to, to attain the blessing of this Alcoholics Anonymous organization. But those who do and take it seriously become most fortunate. They are truly of the most blessed people on earth because they are learning the true art of humbling oneself, freeing oneself of all pride, coming together and honestly admitting your defects, your faults, and your sins, and with a genuine and sincere heart, cry out for the help of your brothers and sisters, and cry out for the higher power of the Supreme God. Anyone who can do that is the wealthiest person on earth. For anyone who can do that, he is on the path to the kingdom of God. The goal of this human life is to attain the eternal treasures of the kingdom of God. Lord Jesus said, make your treasure not in this world, but in the kingdom of God. Forever, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. We are trained by our families, we are trained in the school systems, we are trained by the whole society to be seeking out the treasures of this world and to be dedicating all the energy of our human life to pursuing the treasures of this world. But Lord Jesus has said that the treasures of this world are subject to being stolen by thieves corroded by rust and eaten by moths. But when you make your treasure the kingdom of God, there are no thieves, there is no rust, there is no moths. Lord Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things shall come. What is the gain if you gain the whole world but you lose your eternal soul? You have lost everything. 
all our material qualifications are like so many zeros. No matter how many zeros you add together, multiply together, what is the result? Zero. However much education, however much money, however much fame, however much, however much political influence, however much power and strength, whatever you attain in this earth is just like so many zeros. And at the time of death, it's all added up, and what do you have left? One big zero. But if you put God in front of those zeros, then what happens? Every zero that follows that one increases the value. Ten, hundred, thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, million. There's nothing wrong with having material qualifications. As long as you are using them in the service of God with humility and devotion. But if that humility and devotion is lost, then God is lost. And then your whole life becomes one big zero. Or a whole string of thousands and thousands and thousands of zeros, which all add up to one big zero. So human form of life is meant to put God first in our life. To humble ourselves and to depend exclusively on his mercy. To be consciously aware that without the air, I cannot breathe. Without the sun, without the rains, without the water, without the earth, without the gifts of God, I cannot exist for a moment. The fact is every living creature is 100% depending on the mercy of God and the gifts of God at every second of their life. And people who are ungrateful, envious, and proud are not willing to recognize the glorious mercy of God upon them at every minute. But they reject God. Or they want to claim that I am the doer, I am the great one. See what I have done. But a person in knowledge realizes that who am I before the Almighty God, who am I to brag? Huh? Before the Almighty God, I am just an insignificant, tiny, little, insect-like creature absolutely depending on his mercy at every second. So many of you in this room, due to the very, very horrible addiction to alcohol, have been battered down, has had your, your false ego shattered, have had your pride trampled upon, have had your body in abominable conditions of pain, misery, have been in the most abominable conditions, have seen your own weaknesses, how you could become the most malicious, horrible tyrant, the most sinful demon on earth, cruel to even those person who love you and trying to help you. This is what alcohol reveals to one, is it not? In that condition, hopefully, you come to the conclusion that I am helpless, I am nothing, only God can save me. And when you come to that conclusion, you are the wealthiest, most fortunate man on earth. Because as soon as you say, my dear Lord, from this day on I am yours, the doors to the kingdom of God open wide for you to pass through. And that is a fact. In this condition, you can chant the name of God with feeling, with devotion, with dependence. And that is the goal of life. Call upon the name of God and you will be saved. But that calling must be done with faith and with helpless devotion. So, actually, all of you 
should have pride. But not pride in yourselves. But you should be proud of the Lord who has picked you up and saved you from the condition you were in. You should be proud of him. And you should be proud of the congregation of people who you are associating with who have helped, you, who have helped bring you to that Lord in your life. Huh? Actually, Alcoholics Anonymous, this organization, personally, I am very proud of all of you. And I am very, very extremely proud of the work you are doing throughout the world. And I will publicly declare tonight that I am your servant. <laughs> in any way I can help your organization, in any way I can help any of you personally, that is my greatest fortune in life. But my humble request to all of you is to understand the utter importance of complete honesty in your life. You know, when you hide something, that thing becomes very dangerous. Our sins, our bad thoughts, these negative qualities within us are our worst enemies. In the Vedas it's called Maya. Maya is that illusory energy that is trying to convince us through temptations and various other forms to engage in abominable activities which will take us further from God. In the Christian scripture, sometimes we call upon Satan as the man who is constantly within our hearts trying to tempt us and trying to drag us off the path of God. Huh? Know that those ill qualities within us are our worst enemies. Now when you are fighting against an enemy. Bhishma Dev explained this to Maharaj Yudhisthira. When you are fighting against an enemy, you must know the greatest strength of the enemy is not in their bombs. It is not in their military. It is not in their weaponry, their armory. It is not in their expert politicians and their generals. But the greatest strength of the enemy is in their intelligence, which means their spies. Because if you have one good spy in the enemy camp, you know everything about the power, everything about the intentions, everything about the plans of the enemy, and the enemy cannot really do anything to harm you. And the spy also informs your enemy every place that you're vulnerable and every time that you're vulnerable. So anyone who's a good politician in military warfare knows that the most important part of security is to have good spies in the enemy camps. Huh? And also, when you catch a spy, ah, usually you kill them to make an example, so nobody wants to be a spy. Because you know, it is like a disease that has entered into your body, like a cancerous disease. And if the spies are not removed, the whole body is decayed. A spy is only effective when they are hidden, when they are not revealed. So similarly, those negative qualities that are within you, those negative thoughts that are within you, those sinful activities that you know you have done. 
if you allow them to remain hidden within your heart, from within, they will give such power to the enemy of Satan or Maya to defeat you. But if you reveal them, if you reveal your mind with all honesty, then the spy is no longer a spy. He's revealed to everyone. Of course, you should only reveal to people you can trust. You don't reveal to everyone. But this organization is glorious to the degree we can develop love and trust amongst each other and we can be completely, perfectly honest with one another. And that will develop a sincere sense of real humility. When you reveal your real nature to others, you have nothing to be proud of anymore, correct? Because face it, we're all an ocean of bad qualities. <laughs> and when we admit those bad qualities, we have nothing to be proud of anymore. A proud man hides all those things from everyone and just wants to cover it up with a, with a gloss, with a veneer of all of his virtues. Huh? So this is my humble request. Be honest with one another. Be proud of what God has given you. And understand that the real goal and the real perfection of our existence is to love God, to humble ourselves before the Lord. The first and great commandment, Lord Jesus said, is to love thy God with all your heart, your mind, and soul. And the Bhagavatam says the supreme occupation for all humanity is simply to love God. And by the grace of God, that love is given to the person who humbles himself before the Lord and his devotees and calls out his holy name with devotion. Thank you very much. Is there any questions? reveal it to someone you can trust. And of course, the person you can trust the most is the person who has no other motivation than to help you. This is the natural quality of a holy man. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Huh? The so one who loves God loves you because you are his neighbor. And someone who loves you, you can trust. You can trust completely. To reveal your mind to such a person is the greatest privilege in life, the greatest opportunity, the greatest benediction and blessing in life. In your prayers, you can also reveal your mind in full to the Supreme Lord. And in your congregation, you can reveal your mind before all. And in that way, make sure you never become proud. Huh? But besides that, we have to learn how to purify our heart from these contaminations, from the root cause of the disease. In all the great scriptures of the world, it is described that the name of God is all pure. In the Vedas, specifically, it is described that by chanting the name of God sincerely, one can cleanse one's heart from, of more sins than one is able to even perform. See, God is all pure. When we come into the presence of God, we become purified. Huh? You, you are what you associate with. You become like what you associate with. You all know that very clearly here. If anyone in this room were to intimately associate with people who drink, what will you do? You will drink. 
Isn't that one of the first principles? Do not associate intimately with people that drink. It is factually impossible for you to give it up or to remain sober if you are... See, God is all pure. When we come into the presence of God, we become purified. Huh? You, you are what you associate with. You become like what you associate with. You all know that very clearly here. If anyone in this room were to intimately associate with people who drink, what will you do? You will drink. Isn't that one of the first principles? Do not associate intimately with people that drink. It is factually impossible for you to give it up or to remain sober if you are associating intimately with drinkers. Because you are what you associate with. If you associate with drunkards, you become a drunkard. If you associate intimately with smokers, you begin to smoke. If you associate with thieves, you become a thief. If you associate with saints, you become a saint. If you associate with God, you become godly. Now the most easy process of associating with God is to chant his name, to remember him by calling upon his divine name. Through the process of chanting his name, through the process of performing puja, with the proper approach of humbling oneself in devotion to God, offering him the various articles. By humbling oneself before God and associating with him through prayer, we become purified. And from the very root of the cause of all of these sinful, unwanted desires, we are cleansed. Originally, our consciousness is pure. When we, come in con when we come into the presence of God by remembering Him, by praying to Him, and by chanting His name, our consciousness comes to its original natural state, which is to know God and to love God. Huh? Therefore, there is a great need for spiritual discipline in our life to cleanse our mind from all of these unwanted elements that are constantly harassing us. Huh? Any other questions? Yes, sir. Good afternoon. When God made us, like his image, in his vision. The sickness that comes is not God-given, but is it devilish or is it our own uh, refusal to accept the view of God? Because God did not make us sick people, our colleagues, but God made us, he's uh, planning for us, his image. And uh, why this happened to us? Ah. Why did it happen to Adam and Eve? Yes. God gave them the nicest arrangement in the Garden of Eden. It's a very beautiful place where they could walk with God. And God told them that you can enjoy all of my property. I am your father, you are my children, enjoy everything for the rest of eternity. But don't eat this apple because this apple is meant only for me. So then the serpent spoke to Eve, correct? said, God does not want you to eat the apple because if you eat the apple, you'll become like him. And he doesn't want you to become like that. So you should eat the apple. That serpent symbolizes envy. You see, we're made in the image of God. But we are not God. God is all-knowing. He knows infinitely, but we can finitely know 
to a certain extent. We have the power to know, but not everything like God. Similarly, God is independent, completely. He has freedom to do what he wants, whenever he wants. He can create, he can destroy. He is completely at liberty to do as he wishes. Because we are made in the image of God, we also have freedom of choice. And God never takes that freedom of choice away from us. That means you have the choice to listen to the serpent of envy or you have the choice to listen to the word of God. Huh? Isn't that the situation of everyone? Even in the spiritual world, the Garden of Eden, they had the choice to listen to the serpent of envy or to listen to God. As soon as you listen to the serpent of envy, then you begin to act envious of God. And you want to take what is meant for God for your own enjoyment. And that's just what Adam and Eve did. They took the apple meant for God and they wanted to enjoy it. And as soon as they did that, what happened? They fell from the Garden of Eden. That's the very reason we have come to this earth. Originally, we are all from the spiritual world. But we have made the wrong choice. And as long as we're on this earth, we're continuously, moment by moment, perpetually making the wrong choice. Huh? So did God put us in this situation? Or did we put ourselves in this situation? Because God, because God loves us, he gives us freedom. Because in order for there to be love, there has to be freedom. If God programmed you like a computer where you had no other alternative but to, but, to, but to just obey him, there would be no question of love. God could force you to obey him, but he, will, he cannot force you to love him because love cannot be forced. It would be imperfect. God is perfect. And God has created everything perfectly. And the perfect... The ultimate perfection is he gives us the real, the real sweetness of love because he gives us the free will to choose to love. And without that free will, there's no sweetness to love. It's simply obedience like a robot. Huh? Therefore, God wants us to love him perfectly. And when we choose to disobey the sweet, loving will of our Supreme Father God and listen to our lower nature, then we fall. We fall into a miserable condition of material life. Now in our life, at every moment, there are these two voices. I think one of the one of the um, very famous slogans of Alcoholics Anonymous is one day at a time. Huh? <laughs> this is a very important thing to understand. But I say not one day at a time, one moment at a time, one second at a time. Because a day is too long. <laughs> it is a fact. At every second, God's speaking one thing, and the snake is speaking another thing. And at every second, we have the choice. Do we choose God's will or do we choose the serpent's will? Satan's will. Every second, every moment, every hour, every day, every week, every year, for our whole life, we must be very consciously and sincerely making the right choice. And if we are sincere, and we are humble, God will give us the strength and the intelligence to make the right choice. And if we humble ourselves to those great souls who are sincerely devoted to God, they will help us and guide us to always make the right choice. Because, let's face it, 
we are not qualified to make the choice, the right choice by ourselves. We need help. We need the help of God. We need the help of God's servants to guide us on the right path of life. We do not even know which one is the serpent and which one is God. Huh? Sometimes the serpent disguises himself to sound like God. That serpent is a very good mystic. He could even look like God. Huh? We cannot discriminate without the help of the scripture and the saints. If we moment by moment follow their direction and sincerely make the right choice, then we will never fall. God will protect us. If he sees we are sincere and humble, he will protect us. Yes. It could be. It depends on your motive. Uh, Jesus fasted for what, 40 days in the, in the wilderness, did he not? But he did that as a purification, as an act of sacrifice for God, for the pleasure of God, and for the purification of his own heart. At least that's, he was teaching us by his example in that way. And similarly, when we fast as a means of purifying our heart, when we fast to restrain our senses from the things that they naturally like to enjoy, in order to deepen our contemplation on the glories of God. That fasting has a very purifying effect to bring us closer to God. But when we fast without that humility, without that desire for purification, but when we fast to make a show, just like Jesus said, if you're fasting, don't tell anyone you're fasting. Right? Because the tendency now is, oh yes, I have fasted 40 days and 40 nights and everyone's thinking, oh, you are very great, let me touch your feet, Maharaj, right? And you're saying, yes, yes, touch, it's all right, I fasted 40 days. Huh? It is not like that. Fasting should be for the purpose of humbling ourselves before God. To purify ourselves. It's a sacrifice. But if it is done for a political purpose, huh? just like some people fast to get independence from some other country, that is not demoniac, but it is not a spiritual fast. It will have a material result. If we fast for some desire of mystic powers, some yogis, they fast for days, months, years in order to attain yogic siddhis, miraculous abilities to perform powers. That is also material. But when we fast, we should fast with an honest and sincere heart, sincere heart, trying to purify our mind and purify our senses and contemplate deeper and deeper and deeper on the need to fall at the feet of the Lord and surrender to Him. To help us restrain our senses from their natural sinful tendencies. To help us have control over our senses from our natural sinful tendencies so that we can, from within, have a deeper and deeper aspiration and inspiration to take shelter of the glorious strength of the Lord. So fasting is not necessary.
for spiritual purification, but many people find it helpful. In our, in our society, what, before we eat food, we always offer it to God with devotion, through prayer. We are strict vegetarians because we do not feel that it is right to kill innocent creatures and cause them unnecessary pain just because we like the taste of them. So we try to minimize violence as far as possible. And then we take that very pure natural food and we offer it to the Lord with prayer and devotion. Just like the, um, at the Mass, you have the... Uh, uh, you have that, the, the wafer, uh, the host, which is considered to be the body of Jesus. It is very sacred food. So similarly, when we offer food to God with devotion, we accept that that food becomes holy, it becomes spiritual. And then we take that food and we accept that that food, eating that food purifies our mind and purifies our body. So our spiritual teacher, his name is Srila Prabhupada, he used to tell us, in this movement feasting is fasting and fasting is feasting. If you feast on spiritual food, that's as good as fasting. If you want to fast, that's purifying. If you want to feast, that is purifying, so long as it's on spiritual food. Is there any other questions? Yes. Can you repeat? I'm sorry. I'm willing my life. I am hanged over to care of God. I'm here still now, but if I want to do more for this, what I want to do exactly? Ah. We should surrender our body, our mind, our words, and our life to the will of God. To have no other separate interest than the will of God. To love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And the process of doing that is to call upon the Lord's help constantly. And what is the greatest service you could do for the Lord? First of all, you have to aspire with an honest and, aspire with an honest and sincere heart on a genuine spiritual path to develop that love of God in your heart. And then you must simultaneously, as you are aspiring, whatever little you have, you should share it with as many people as you possibly can. Whatever God has been done for you, the only way you can repay him is to do the same thing for all others. Huh? And if you do not, you will die a debtor. And that is sinful. Huh? So however God has helped you come closer to him, however God has helped you to come out of abominable problems in life, you owe God the debt of showing that same mercy, which is his mercy, not your mercy, but delivering that same mercy to as many people as you possibly within your capacity can. 
So simultaneously, we have to strive under spiritual direction for the true purification of the heart by which we can love God and fulfill his first commandment. Krishna says in Gita, abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender to me. We must strive in that direction. And at the same time, we must understand that we are debtors. God has given us much. And we must give everyone else that same opportunity that God has given us. And we should be willing to sacrifice to help another. A real friend is not one who simply gives when it's convenient to give. Huh? A real friend is a person who is willing to suffer for the sake of helping his brother. To accept inconvenience, pain, ridicule, accept any inconvenience to help our brother. That is love. That is how we can really love our neighbor as ourselves. Thank you.